This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It's 9.04. As far as the weather concerns, off to a rocky start this morning with a big thunderstorm ripping through the area at a little bit before 4 o'clock this morning in northern Broome and southern parts of Shenango County, packing quite hefty wind speeds, up to 50-mile-an-hour gusts. And there were some reports of some hail. Calmed down quite a bit now, light rain being reported at the airport with a 5-mile-an-hour north wind. The forecast for today, they've dropped it back from a 90% to an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms. And a high today getting back up into the mid-60s. The Broome County firefighters that were out to the town of Windsor earlier this morning ended up spending a couple hours battling a house fire. That blaze at 24 Riley Road reported about 10 minutes to 6 this morning. The Broome County Emergency Services officials say it was believed the structure was a single-family home, all the residents apparently getting out safely. Firefighters from Windsor, West Windsor, Five Mile Point, and Kirkwood went to the scene. Officers from the Broome County Sheriff's Office and New York State Police were there as well. The lot is located between Hilltop Lane and Foley Road, also known as Liberty Highway at one point. The communications official said the location is actually closer to the intersection with Hilltop Lane. The fire might have been visible from Route 17, Interstate 86 to the south. The cause of that fire will be under investigation throughout the day. There were no reports of any injuries. Pennsylvania State Police say they found a large amount of suspected methamphetamine in a car they stopped on Route 11 in New Milford. They had two young children among the occupants. Authorities say 35-year-old Jarrell Chai Hong of Millerton, Pennsylvania, and 31-year-old Carrie Pethmanghong of Elmira were found to have about a half pound of the suspected narcotic in the car. Troopers say they noticed a car committing several traffic violations while traveling on U.S. Highway 11 in New Milford Township, Susquehanna County. Shortly before 7 p.m. September 8th, the state troopers saw there were two small children in the vehicle and noticed what believed to be criminal activity in that Ford Explorer. A police canine was brought in and the dog positively alerted to the presence of the suspected drugs in the SUV. The couple is being charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver. Conspiracy to commit possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver. And drug possession as well as misdemeanor endangering the welfare of a child. WMBF First News Time 907. Several months after security cameras were installed in a city-owned parking garage, vehicle break-ins continue to be a problem. One incident of a car window being smashed was reported yesterday afternoon with only a small makeup bag being taken out of the vehicle. City of Binghamton officials have not said whether live video from the devices now in the State Street parking garage is being monitored at the police headquarters after nearly two dozen vehicles in the State Street ramp were damaged in 2016 in a vandalism spree. Then-Mayor Richard David said the city would consider installing more cameras and possibly having an employee at the facility overnight to reduce the likelihood of criminal conduct. Regular overnight police patrols through the ramp were put into place. While patrol cars are still seen occasionally sweeping through the garage in the early morning hours, the frequency seems to have been less lately. Cameras finally were installed early this year. 
But initially, they were able to take surveillance recordings, but could not be monitored by the police because there was no reliable Internet. It appears a fiber Internet connection now is in place at the parking garage. City officials have not responded to requests for information about security measures. Fans of locally crafted beer, wines, and spirits have a new opportunity to sample all the Southern Tier has to offer. Cornell Cooperative Extension of Broome County and Visit Binghamton, with support from Experience Tioga and Explore Shenango County, are launching the new Southern Tier Craft Beverage Trail tomorrow, with over a dozen businesses in Broome, Shenango, and Tioga counties featured. Many visitors to the Finger Lakes are aware of the numerous wineries and cideries along the lake shores, but there are plenty of small operations elsewhere in the southern tier in central New York that are churning out spirits, including beer, wine, and even handcrafted whiskey in Binghamton and Tioga County. Organizers of the Southern Tier Craft Beverage Trail say the new event has more options closer to home for Twin Tiers residents. Passports available at any of the breweries, wineries, or distilleries are a fun way to keep track of visits with a completed passport. Good to be sent in for a unique trail t-shirt. Of course, besides quenching the thirst of beverage aficionados, the effort is also a boost to small businesses that are participating. We have a listing of the participants on our website, WMBF.com, along with a link to the Cornell Cooperative Extension Broom website. WMBF News Time 909. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast. An 80% chance of showers and possibly a thunderstorm today, high getting back up into the mid-60s. Overnight, the temperatures were in the 70s. Tonight, a 60% chance of showers as we get toward morning. Most of the night will be mostly cloudy, a low in the low 40s. Could be a little bit on the windy side with wind gusts as high as 21 miles per hour. For tomorrow, a 40% chance of morning showers. Gradually becoming sunny, a high in the mid-50s. Mostly sunny Saturday, a high in the mid-60s. Sunday, 60% chance of afternoon showers, mostly cloudy, high in the mid to upper 60s. And Monday, partly sunny, a 60% chance of mainly afternoon showers and a high again in the mid-60s. Currently 54 in Binghamton. It's 11 past 9. Where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Final show of the summer season. And this is how it begins Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. Bob Joseph at your service. We will do our best to facilitate a community conversation, ask the appropriate questions, and try to obtain relevant answers so you have a better appreciation for what is going on around here. 607-772-1290 is the number. If you'd like to speak on the program, we encourage you to think carefully about the issues you choose to bring up on the program. Because in the end, you may help shape the agenda of Binghamton. If you prefer, send an email to bob at wnbf.com. Selected emails may be read on the air. should also point out that as a working journalist in Binghamton, I will always accept news 
tips. If you have information about something going on around here that you think might be relevant, that might need to be checked out, you can send your tips, your suggestions, your hunches to bob at wnbf.com. Of course, we won't reveal our sources. I would say if you send some information about something going on, it would be helpful to me if you also include your phone number. I won't provide it to anyone, but in case I have a need to follow up, that way I can get in touch with you and ask you a few questions. We start the morning with Jim Baker from the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club, and I'm sure this is an update on the potato harvest of 2022. Good morning, Mr. Baker. Uh, why so formal? <laughs> hey, it 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 certainly goes downhill from from here. You've you've probably oh, okay. heard you've probably heard the way the show typically runs. It can start off on on a high note, and by noon, people are saying. Wow, that was that was an interesting, interesting ride with a little bit of turbulence and some detours along the way. Anyway, Jim, thank you for being with us. Tell us uh, what's going on with this year's potato crop in West Corners. Well, to start with, we had 104 volunteers sign in to help pick up the potatoes. We had the potatoes all dug on Friday, and so all we had to do was pick them up Saturday. And uh, it was it was amazing. We started at eight o'clock in the morning, and we were all done by noon, which was absolutely amazing. We had a lot of uh, organizations that helped us. Besides that, like Gull Auto Group, Country Wagon Produce, and Weiss Markets, who donated different things for us, you know, like water and things like that. And uh, also the Catholic charities, uh, or I'm sorry, Catholic schools. Their, their kids were phenomenal this year, absolutely phenomenal. But we ended up with 22,436 pounds, which is 11.218 tons. Wow, more than 11 tons of potatoes to be donated right. to the uh, food pantries uh, around the southern tier. Correct, correct. I, I can't thank people enough that that came and volunteered this year i mean it was it was just like a bunch of ants out there i mean it was absolutely phenomenal uh how many people we had and how fast we got the potatoes off the ground and and in the bins and in bins and bags and and got them out of there uh the food bank took 18 totes which is their tractor trailer full and uh they had 17,276 pounds and the we had uh, five uh, five thousand one hundred sixty pounds that we put in bags that we distributed to local food pantries like uh, Catholic Charities up in Binghamton, uh, the uh, Tioga Rural Ministries down in Owego, uh, you know, and other churches and, and things of that nature around that have anybody that has a food food pantry or. Uh, you know, does meals, anything like that. We we don't care as long as they go to charity. We don't care where they go. But it was it was a phenomenal year, Bob. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, I congratulate you and of course the members of the Southern Tier Antique Tractor Club for continuing the tradition to help people in the region with the uh, food donations. As you mentioned in your previous conversation. 
Um, it's even more than potatoes. It started with potatoes only, but other things right. have been donated too. Well, we like this year we did uh, about uh, 200 dozen ears of sweet corn. Uh, here again, that we don't take to the food down down to Elmira. That goes to local food pantries around here. Uh, we can't take that to Elmira because that 200 dozen is nothing. But uh, around here we had two pickings, and, you know, between those two pickings, that's what we donated. Uh, I took two bins full up to uh, Catholic Charities up in Binghamton, for an example. In two days it was gone. So... Well, do what we can. Well, I appreciate that you do what you can and that the 104 volunteers pitched in to um, help harvest this year's potatoes. Jim, thank you so much for uh, updating us. Keep us posted. You know, it's going to be May before long, and then you'll be planting potatoes again. Well, hope so. Be the good Lord willing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, keeping us posted on this important cause for our community thank you very much bob thanks for your time you're welcome 918 wnbf coming up next we'll talk with endicott mayor linda jackson this is bob joseph on news radio wnbf 92.1 fm 1290 am and streaming live at wnbf.com every day This is Bob Joseph. Uh, Tomorrow morning, I roll out my new air name, Bob Endicott. So uh, if you tune in tomorrow and say, where is Mr. Joseph? I'll be here, but we're rebranding starting for the fall season. Bob Endicott. There you go. What do you think of that, Mayor Jackson? I like that idea. I decided instead of the two-party system in Endicott, we should be called Endicotters. We're all working together for Endicott. Somebody tried to call, this goes way back, Endicottians. And I'm thinking, like, Endicottians? Endicotters are better. But so uh, <laughs> starting tomorrow morning, Bob Endicott. At least that's what I'm going to I'm gonna uh, run the idea up the flagpole to see who salutes. Well, all of Endicott will. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> we should. But then what about the people in Windsor and Johnson City and Whitney Point? Also very fine villages. Well, they are. Well, they'll just have to take their turn. We'll do them later. Yeah. yeah I'll be Bob Endicott for the next 20 years. And then, you know, in, <laughs> in the fall of 2042, I'll decide what my new branding will be. At any rate, uh, glad you could join us this morning to tell us a few things that... Uh, the village and uh, actually some other local governments are involved in. For one thing, I know you said that um, there is uh, growing concern or continuing concern about uh, crime and criminality and how people sometimes seem to be getting away with stuff these days. Tell me what uh, you've been thinking about and what what's going on with some local officials. 
Well, tonight I have a Rotary meeting. Andwell Rotary has got Mike Korchek speaking, and next Thursday I'm president of the Association of Towns and Villages, and Mike is going to speak there to give us some idea on the discovery and the, the new bail reform. Uh, bail reform was made because I guess there was a gentleman on Rikers who was stuck in jail forever, very unfairly, uh, because he couldn't afford bail. And I, I understand we needed some bail reform, but I'm afraid it's gone too far to the other side. People are getting out. You heard about the problem in Johnson City last week where the rapist had to be, uh, the judge had no choice but to release him. And that's something very concerning to our citizens. So we're asking Mr. Korchek what the laws are, because I don't totally understand them, how to write a letter, and then our villages, our towns, our cities, and even the school district is getting involved, and we're going to write letters to the governor now. I don't know if we'll make any difference or not, but we can't sit and do nothing. We have to see if we can't find a way to to solve this problem because uh, people are very fearful when they call the police and the police come and say, gee, I, I'm sorry, but I can't legally do anything for you. That's that's very, very frustrating for both sides. So that that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to make a dent in it, at least show that we're trying to do something. And this is unusual for the village of Endicott. My whole board is behind me. We're, we're all working on this together, and I want everyone to know that that's how important this really is. We're not letting politics get in the way. We're, we all have the same, same goal. Speaking of public safety, you have mentioned to me that uh, the village of Endicott will perhaps be moving to replicate an idea that's been used in Binghamton for the last few years, and that's license plate readers at the entrances to the village, primary entrances and exits to the village of Endicott. Tell me about the possibility of installing license plate readers. When we first started looking for cameras for the avenue, I gave the job to our police chief because he's in security. That's his job. And he also was investigating those like Binghamton has. Uh, and he's put together uh, a company that's putting together a package for us so that we can get some prices and bring it in front of the board. I do believe that's going to be very beneficial because just like Binghamton, it will be hooked up to Broome County. So if somebody robs a bank, for example, in Johnson City and comes into Endicott, we'll know that that's the car that just robbed the bank. It'll be a little easier to catch somebody who's, who's doing something like that. Uh, because right now they can come through and we wouldn't even know. So that's kind of where we're headed for that. But we have to bring it before the board as soon as we get a package ready. And then we'll be uh, going forward. Yeah, Binghamton's plate readers were first installed about five years ago, September 2017. The thing that I find interesting about it is they won't tell us exactly how effective they are. They, they put out one news release after uh, some miscreants who apparently were riding around in a stolen vehicle. Uh, They were caught ostensibly because of a plate reader near the uh, arch at the Binghamton-Johnson city line. But over the last five years, they've told us essentially nothing about what the plate readers do, or I mean what the actual impact is it's to me it's it's a mystery about whether they're effective or not i mean i i understand the premise but i just don't understand why i mean do you know has endicott or has the police chief been able to get any information from binghamton to show how effective the plate readers have been over the past five years for the city 
Well, I haven't asked. <laughs> the police chief happens to be in the next room right now, but um, I haven't asked him about Binghamton. But our police chief is very good about giving us statistics on crime in the area. So I can ask if we do get the readers, if he'll give us some statistics on that, so at least Endicott will know because it would be nice if we knew what was going on in our own village. And in the meantime, I can ask him if, if he has any information on Binghamton, and if he does, I'll get it from him and I'll, I'll send it to you. All right. Well, I appreciate that because uh, I, I'm curious. The city spent yeah, you're right. well, city of Binghamton spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I, I guess the least Binghamton residents could expect is sort of uh, a status report on you know, you spend that kind of money, you know, tell us, mm-hmm. tell us what's happened. It, you know, I, I, and they always say, well, it's, it's top secret. Well, you know, oh. you've been involved in local government long enough. Not everything needs to be top secret. You're absolutely right. And, and I'm uh, trying to get out some information. I talked to a, a media source yesterday to try to start um, to get out more to the public to know what's going on in the village. Uh, we're not transparent enough. I try, I try to be on your show. I try to write letters to the newspaper, but people still don't know what's going on in Endicott. So we're trying uh, a new venue, and I'm hoping to have little excerpts. I've got like six pages of things I need to get out so that people know what's going on in Endicott. And we're starting with the history of Endicott and going forward. Um, I want people to know as much as I possibly can, can tell them so that they'll know what's here, what was here, what's coming here. Uh, I think people deserve to know, and I'm, I'd be glad to tell them. So, so we're working on that. I just had a meeting with the media source yesterday, and we should be getting that out soon so people can start looking for great information on what's going on in Endicott. Well, that's going to scare some of the other local governments. If you start giving out information, the pressure will be on to other local governments to start uh, providing some information. Well, that's what, that's where we're at. You know, something our I feel our residents have a right to ask, and if those other company or other municipalities, their residents want to know, they should tell them too. Some of them might have plans on, on newsletters and stuff. We don't have that yet, and that's another thing we really need to get out as a newsletter, just to let people know general things. These are just general facts. These aren't secrets or anything political. It's just simple facts of what's an Endicott. That's all. Well, that's what, all what I like is when they when you ask them a simple question, they say, I mean, the information is sitting right there. You know they're on the phone yeah. looking at all the information, and in and, and 20 seconds they could give you all the answers you're looking for, and then you could write uh-huh. a very comprehensive and probably actually a very positive story. And what they say is, well, Bob, if you really are interested, you can foil it. Oh, yeah, I I, I understand a lot of things might need to be foiled, but I prefer if people if people send me an email and I know the answer and I'm I'm legally allowed to give it to you. Believe me, I will. Now, if you ask me, uh, is there something big going on that I'm not supposed to talk about? Chances are, I don't even know about it, so I wouldn't be able to tell you if I wanted to. Well, sometimes, right. like say, if something's going on at the sewage treatment plant, for example, this is a right. hypothetical. Some people will sure. say, "Oh, we can't talk about it because of HIPAA," and it's like. What? HIPAA has what? nothing to do with the sewage treatment plant. And again, that's no. just, uh, it, it's stuff like that that makes you wonder are they yeah. working for the people or are they working to conceal how they're spending our money? I don't know. I mean, it just makes you wonder. One final thing. Right. One final thing. Yeah. We, we were talking about public safety and the uh, future of plate readers being installed. And I believe you're planning on how many? Uh, four plate readers? I, I think they asked for four, yes. 
All right. And the other thing we've talked about previously is new surveillance cameras to provide enhanced security along Washington Avenue and also uh, with some of the municipal parking lots of Endicott. Are, Are plans for those new cameras moving forward? Yes, it's in with the design plans, though. So we have to um, we have to uh, approve the design plans, and then the cameras are going to be in 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 with that. Now the parking lots is in with the Greater Binghamton Fund. That's in with our ten million dollar grant, and uh, we have asked the uh, state to add those into it, and they finally have agreed to do that. But again, we have to get our design plans all approved, and then the cameras will be in within that. Even though. Uh, Donna Lopardo has offered the ones on the avenue, but I have to check and see where her finances are to make sure she can still do that. But the ones in the parking lot are through the DRI, the $10 million DRI. All right. One other thing, um, we reported a story. There's going to be a grocery store opening in the next few weeks on Washington Avenue, where the Citizens Bank had been in recent years. Well, the bank moved out to a smaller site um, over on North Street about a year ago. And now there are some partners for men who are planning to open up a grocery store at 18 Washington Avenue. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think it's it's really bad. I know people are saying, oh, it's going to be another bodega, but I haven't investigated to see exactly what it is. But I do know for a fact that people from other countries sometimes have to go to New York City or Syracuse for certain kinds of foods. And I'm sure that, for example, the Jewish faith has to have certain kosher foods. So I'm sure there's a need for it. The company did call, the people did call our office and asked if they could get in on the $10 million DRI grant for the avenue and, and uh, those projects have already been submitted to the state, but we do have a line in there for 600000 to help upgrade some of the businesses on the avenue, and they can apply for that. But that's the most I've had in, uh, in connection with them so far. So I haven't talked to my fire marshal yet. I want to see what kind of a permit they have asked for, and then we'll know more about what they have planned on coming. All right. Well, as we say on the radio, stay tuned. Uh, I will invite you to come back on the program uh, probably in the next couple of weeks to talk about a few other issues of interest to people in Endicott. Thank you so much, Bob. Take care. That's Endicott Mayor Linda Jackson live on WNBF. Coming up next, a global exclusive, the Commissioner of Aviation for Broome County, the man in charge of the greater Binghamton Airport. Mark Heefner live. You won't want to miss it on News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM and 1290 AM and streaming live for a grateful world at WNBF.com. News Radio. Nine thirty-seven, WNBF. Bob Joseph. We're joined by Mark Heefner, Commissioner of Aviation for Broome County, in charge, as they say, of the Greater Binghamton Airport. Good morning. Good morning, Bob, and good morning, everyone listening. And there's always a lot to talk about <laughs> at the airport, and we will get to that in a minute. I just want to say personally, congratulations. You are a proud new father. Yes, I am. I, we just had my third girl. I, I, I would say we. My wife had her, had our third girl. She did an amazing job. Um, Cecilia Hope uh, is now one month old. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Now, let's talk about the airport first. We saw the big announcement uh, just uh, just 
seems like just a few days ago, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul announced $32 million mm-hmm. from New York State for the future of the airport. Give uh, our listeners sort of an overview of how this money is going to be spent. Oh, wow. Um, so it's actually going to be uh, very beneficial for our area. So well, the first thing I always uh, kind of tell people is this money has already been allotted in the state. So it's a competitive program. It was going to go somewhere in the state. So me being very, very biased for our area, I was like, it needs to come to, to us. It needs to come to the Binghamton area. Uh, so we're, we're very uh, fortunate because, I mean, it was going to get spent anyway, so why not spend it here? Um, <clears throat> so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to do a terminal renovation. Now, our last renovation was actually done. You know, I, I'm, I've seen internet trolls here and there say, oh, they just did one two years ago. And that makes me scratch my head because I'm like, you haven't been out to the airport in two years. Um, but uh, our last true renovation was done in uh, 2001, was completed right before September. So a lot has changed from September 2001 to now. Uh, so we're going to uh, do a lot of different efficiencies. But I think the main thing that the, that the public's going to see and the, and the passenger's going to see is we're going to open the terminal up. We're going to make it brighter. We're going to use our natural landscape. And we're going to make that passenger experience way better. Um, when you go to an airport, when you fly, generally there's a loss of control, and that can kind of make people nervous. Uh, one um, psychological way to do that, uh, to help with that, is to let people see what's in front of them and let people see what's going to happen next. So that's kind of what we did with our designs, our preliminary designs. They're very, very early. Um, <clears throat> the cool thing is, is that our, our amazing governor uh, allowed us to have $32 million. We also already secured $5.5 million. So it's a $37 million project. Uh, it has to be done in 24 months. So I got a letter yesterday that said, you know, congratulations on the award. Um, we just want to verify that you uh, will, will be completed by October 2024. Please confirm this and send us this information and all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, that means the clock is ticking. Yes, Because sir. I've covered a lot of projects around here. And over the years, I'll just say, a lot of projects, they, they could spend 24 months just talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then... We finally, say, have groundbreaking or it's underway. And then, who knows, with with all sorts of uh, different things, let's face it, construction, materials, and even in this day and age, hopefully things will start to get better over the next year or so in terms of access to needed materials and even workers. But it does put uh, a degree of pressure. I'm I'm saying a lot of prayers, I I tell you that, um, because I I think we can hit it. Um, Our workforce has definitely shown that they have been able to hit deadlines and timelines because this program was done several years ago to a couple other airports. So they were able to do it in 20 four months i think the really cool part about it this is for me for for airport management it allows us to set our terminal up for the next 20 to 25 years so we won't have to be we shouldn't have to be you know fixing major things repairing major things in the terminal whereas we can kind of turn our attention to some of the other airports and other portions in the airport that, that require attention so you know, when you talk about long-range planning, you talk about um, how you want to set your county up, we're going to have a facility for the next 20 years that is going to be state-of-the-art. And it's going to be somewhere people want to fly out of. I mean, Binghamton University is growing in leaps and bounds. They just announced that amazing um, grant that they got, over $100 million. So we got to we got to re- um, reflect the area. we got to reflect what we're doing, um, making the, the amazing progress. Um, that's one of the reasons why we're including uh, Customs and Border Protection uh, new building in this. So we had to uh, bring Customs and Border Protection up to new standards that they just uh, announced a couple of years ago. Um, so we're going to include that as well. So 
so that it also brings the general aviation aspect into this. Uh, we have um, lots of people that actually fly in from whether it be Europe or Canada or Mexico. We had somebody uh, a couple weeks ago that flew in from Mexico that cleared customs right here. And then they ended up staying here because they liked the area. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really um, excellent boon for our area. 942, we're speaking with Broome County Aviation Commissioner Mark Kiefner. Starting in several weeks, people will be able to uh, head from Greater Binghamton Airport to a couple of destinations in the state of Florida. Yes, sir. Uh, RSW, which is Fort Myers, and MCO, which is Orlando. So I've heard people say, well, you can get there from other airports, too. I'll tell you this, um, and, and I want everyone to pay attention here real good, because Avello Airlines is flying into the actual city. So they're flying into the airport in Orlando. They're flying into the airport in Fort Myers. They're not flying to the ones that are north or um, outside of the airport. They're flying actually to the city center. So when you land, you're where you need to go. And I think, Bob, you, you remember when, when one of my big sticks, if you will, is when you fly out of Bing- Binghamton and you come back, you're home, right? You, know, you, you can get to your house pretty quickly. Well, when you fly to your destination out of Binghamton, you, you're at your destination. You're not having to rent a car and drive into where you want. You can, you know, for, for Orlando, for all intents and purposes, you can hop on that Magical Express and go because that's offered at MCO. Wow. Well, that is a big difference. It's a huge difference. And they're a low-cost carrier, too. So, um, you know, there, there are several low-cost carriers around us, and they're all very good. Um, but this also allows us to, A, keep pace, and B, um, offer that service that, I mean, literally, we, we've been hearing this for years upon years upon years. I've been working on this for as long as I've been here, um, not with just Avello, but with other airlines as well. So to see it come to fruition and to see Avello just grab a hold of it i think out of all the startups that have come in the past couple of years they're probably one of the strongest ones um their management uh and their aircraft acquisition i mean kind of looking at the back end that a lot of people don't see is um a lot their their foundation is a lot better than some of the other ones in my opinion and for people wondering about the size of of the planes the planes that avella will be using will be larger than oh, yeah. the planes that delta uses to connect binghamton right now with detroit the equipment that avello is intending to use could have a capacity of nearly 150 people or 190 people yes sir yeah uh, boeing 737s um they're beautiful aircraft um when they when avello gets them uh, off their purchase agreement they go through about a month of uh renovation to um clean them to uh get brand new seats in them they do a lot of work to these planes uh and like you said it's 150 seats on the uh, 737 um, 700 and 100 and almost 190 seats on on the 800 version so they're big planes man so for people planning and i know um the initial response i've heard the initial response has been good since mm-hmm. the service was announced these flights will be offered out of greater binghamton airport on wednesdays and saturdays that's correct that's correct um and and what i want you to go, go on a trip here with me bob uh, let's picture this. It is January, pick a date, uh, and, and we're sitting here on a Wednesday, and it is 10 degrees outside. And you and I go up to the airport, go through a uh, quick security line, get on a plane, and in two hours, we're at Fort Myers. 20 minutes later, we're sitting at the beach. Two and a half hours later, we're at the beach, my man. That's what I want to impress and find people. If it's cold here and you want to get out, we got you away. Yeah, I I could... I could get you know, go down and you know maybe bring one can of Moxie. There you with go. Me. There so, you go. You know, leave <laughs> and you know, 
within a few hours, I'm out on the beach in my flip-flops and my, of Maybe. course, Bill the Cat t-shirt, and Perfect. there you go. There, And we could do the radio station from the beach, maybe. <laughs> we, could. We, we, we could. We could do that. Yes. <laughs> let's see if we can get that. Let's see if we can ask the, the, the executive producer if we can make exactly. that happen. Exactly. <laughs> the Binghamton now, on the road, and, and if only for a week, I could become... An honorary Florida guy. I could interview the governor. I could interview old people from certain major uh, destinations. You know, here's the truth. The last time I was in Florida was with Roger Neal. We went to a a little place called Disney World when they opened up their MGM studios. Uh And we did three broadcasts from their new, what was then, new and ultra-modern radio studios. We did radio programs from Disney World that actually sounded area. yes wow that's incredible yeah that you know we did I think they were three hour shows and we were swilling chilled orange juice while others were out in line waiting you know for the attractions but that's it was cool. just a lot of fun the only thing the only fly in the ointment was on the little moving ticker the, the sign the electronic sign that they had around MGM Studios when we first started broadcasting somebody spelled Binghamton with a p can you oh, believe it man. you know what that i will tell you i would speaking with uh, Avello's head of marketing he was actually he came into um, Binghamton this past week uh, just for 2 days he met with several chamber members several business members we actually even went to uh, Binghamton University to talk to them about getting involved there um, that's one thing he impressed upon me he said we will not say Binghamton incorrectly we are not putting a P on there. If you look at any of our marketing, marketing material, there's no Binghampton. It's Binghamton. And I was like, you know what? I really appreciate that. And he goes, well, everyone screws our name up, too. That's, well, why, they, they, that's why their moniker is Hello of Hello. Yes. Attention to detail. Yep. It's, it's and, and, I mean, it, it works really well. I mean, you go to AvelloAir.com, and you, you, can, you can book your tickets there. You can see all the flight schedules, when they're flying, compare prices. It's, it's, they're a really, really well-done company. It's a really streamlined site. Now... In the interest of full disclosure, I think we talked with uh, the county executive about this, that the county, in order to get gain mm-hmm. this new service, had to provide certain guarantees, yep. revenue guarantees. Yes, sir. And, and certainly in this day and age, 2022, with the current state of the global aviation industry, I, I understand that's a given. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, expecting to get new service, you're going to have to offer yeah, have to some something. incentives to to assure these companies, whether it's a relatively new airline or an existing company, if they're going to add service, they need some assurances. Yeah, um, and, and any small airport uh, that adds service, it usually has a minimum revenue guarantee. The large airports, they really don't have to as much. They still have some incentives. Um, so like what we did was um, we waived a lot of our um, airport fees. Uh, for the first two years, because that's what the the FAA allows us to do. Um, like I said, we did do a minimum revenue guarantee. Uh, the cool thing about those is it's a uh, if you don't use it, you keep it. So if they don't use the minimum revenue guarantee, we get to keep it. So you know if you're listening there and they're sitting there going, well, I think I'm going to go on a flight to Florida sometime. Book now. That way we don't. That, that way we don't have to pay that. <laughs> um, so if we if we pl- if we fill the planes, um, we're not going to have to pay anything. So it's it's really exciting. So will county employees, will airport employees be helping to support this service? Because that's one of the things that a, a listener was asking about. Is is that something different than say what is traditionally used, say by Delta? 
Yeah, so um, one of our uh, marketing techniques to, to get them here was that we would uh, help with the ground handling. So the airport itself, um, our employees will be working um, in some capacity uh, for essentially Avello Airlines. What's nice is if you have a complaint and you express that to an Avello employee at Binghamton, that's my employee, so I can I can address that. We can address that from a county level right away. Um, so it really gives us the uh, ability to work hand in hand with Avello, have that kind of control, and um, be able to uh, really do a good job. Uh, what, one of the really cool things about Avello is they offer um, to to our businesses, to our chamber, and stuff like that. They're offering discount codes and stuff like that. So um, for our uh, county, uh, we're actually going to try to work on uh, a county disc, uh, county employee discount or something like that. Uh, so we're, we're we're working pretty hard for stuff like that too. Talking with Mark Kiefner, Commissioner of Aviation for Broome County, and we've touched on in previous appearances about the uh, expected recovery of the industry. The, the industry, of course, was hit very hard after 9-11, but it was also hit again very hard, mm-hmm. in fact, even mm-hmm. uh, on a more long-term basis with the pandemic. So what are the industry observers, what are experts expecting in terms of getting the industry more stabilized going forward? Well, there was a, a presentation at a conference, uh, I believe it was last week or the week before, um, and Binghamton was used as a is an example of a unicorn, essentially, is what they said. Um, I believe that was a quote. I'm not 100% sure. It was, it was one of those like um, similes there that adding service right now is just really, really difficult at large airports and even more difficult at small airports. So the fact that we were able to do this um, at, in the kind of current climate that we're at, uh, like I think uh, you and I have talked before, the recovery f- from most airlines was expected in 2024. Like the true getting back to normal, getting back to the 2019 levels was expected to happen right around 2024. Um, so the fact that we're able to do this now and, and coming out of the pandemic is um, absolutely incredible. Uh, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that we got to, I, I cannot stress enough is we got to use it or we lose it. We got to use it or we lose it. Well, that would be frustrating after <laughs> yes. such a journey. And then for some reason, it's greeted yep. figuratively with a yawn. Like, well, yep. thanks. Well, and, and the funny thing is I hear from people, well, why not Tampa? Why not this destination? Why not that destination? And what's cool is um, we're talking with the head of marketing. He was like, well, where else should we go? You know, if you guys can fill these planes and you can show that you can fill the plane to Fort Myers, you can fill the plane to Orlando and continuously fill them, where else? Because as they get more planes into their network, they're going to need to destinations. So... Binghamton's set to grow. I mean, we, we, we've got the ability down the road, maybe in 6, 8, 10, 12 months, at another destination. So there is growth opportunities, but we got to fill what we have right now. One of the other things we uh, reported on about a week ago, completely separate oh, from yeah. aviation, yeah. is solar. There is a solar project. I believe the county legislature later today is going to act on that proposal mm-hmm. from a, a firm based in New Jersey, Above Grid, mm-hmm. wants to have a, a lease on part of the space at the airport. Exactly where would that be in relation to the, the runway um, that uh, ends at, uh, just off Commercial Drive? Is that going to be uh, to the west of the runway? So it'll be uh, off a of commercial drive. If you're looking directly at their runway end, it will be to the, yes, to the west. Um, it'll be about 30 acres. Uh, what's cool is it's below grade. It's well below grade. It's probably 40 to 50 feet at, 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 the, 
at the start of what they're going to lease from us. Um, and you know, this is just an example of us taking our airport and utilizing our assets. You know, a lot of times people just look at an airport and they say, "Okay, you you do commercial flights," but they don't see one the general aviation. You and I have beat that one to death, um, and we'll continue to do that. And two, uh, we have, we have lots of uh, developable ground, and this is a way for us to utilize that and reduce overall county costs. So, you know, it's just a way for us to continue to make our airport um, diverse and viable. So are you expecting that to get the green light today from the legislature? Uh, you know what? We provide a lot of information to them. Um, I, I know that a lot of the legislators uh, interact with the community, um, and they do a very good job of that. So, I, I, you know, depending on what their um, constituents tell them, uh, I mean, they, they vote for their constituents. So I, I truly hope that there is a lot of uh, support for that, and they see it. Um, as, as a very big positive. Um, the difference, uh, I think you and I had talked about this before, but I, I think the difference between this project and the one that the county did in Conklin is, is this is a land lease. This isn't a, um, this is completely different than what is in Conklin in, in, that, in that agreement. That's a, a purchase agreement where you get credits for solar and stuff like that. And this is straight up a land lease. We have nothing to do with any of the development. We don't have to pay for development costs. We don't have to do any of those things. That's all in the company. We are leasing ground, just like you would for a building. And the other question that came up from a few listeners, will it uh, pose a problem, operational problem for pilots? Will they be blinded (laughs) while they're uh, attempting to uh, depart or uh, arrive at Greater Binghamton Airport. Yeah, so uh, no, uh, I shouldn't have started with yes. Uh, no, it won't pos- uh, cause a problem. Um, the FAA uh, actually views this. They have uh, language on um, one of their advisory circulars, and they actually view solar farms as a pond. So for uh, that's that's kind of the correlation they or the parallel that they have for pilots. So when a pilot flies over a pond. One, they're not over it their entire flight. And two, um, the glare is very, very minimal. Uh, the best part about these solar panels is they have found a way to manufacture them so they don't have glare. So really, you, you may not even notice that it's there um, if you're a pilot. Uh, the one that they are concerned about is the uh, air traffic control. So from the FAA's standpoint, is, is this going to affect air traffic control? And the nice thing about these solar panels is they track the sun, so they're going to follow the sun throughout the entire day. And they're below grade, so our air traffic controllers won't even see it, um, which is which is a great spot for it. Has a new restaurant opened at the airport, or is it about to? No, not at the moment. Um, so if, if anyone's listening, they're like, hey, I'd like to open a restaurant, come, come drop me a line, get a hold of me. Um, we're, we're happy to have it. Uh, otherwise, Bob and I are going to be up there flipping eggs and, you know, um, doing hamburgers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bob's. Bob's Burgers. Bob's Wait, Burgers. No, that's, I don't Wait, know if, that's I, already I, that, taken. Yeah, that might be already taken. <laughs> They would call it Mark's Burgers. But, uh, and, I mean, realistically, I, I'm old enough to remember back when they did have mm-hmm. a restaurant at the airport, and it seemed to exist okay for years. I don't think their business was ever really booming, but at least for a time it was sustainable. The reality is, right now, with what the Greater Binghamton Airport sure. is, with the flights provided right now by Delta and soon by Avella, the reality really is how sustainable could a full-service food operation ultimately be? Yeah, I mean, so we, we've got an incredible kitchen um, up there. We've got uh, lots of space for, you know, a company to come in and grow, um, not just for the passengers, but, you know, for providing foods for, uh, you know, the entire county, however they may do it. Um, 
so I mean, I do have the space available. However, I, I will tell you with with a, with a little asterisk on the end of it, we, we're going through a renovation for over the next twenty four months. So we're, that space is going to get reimagined and re, re-identified and reused. So there will be great options for passengers when um, this project's done, when the terminal rehabilitation's done. We're going to have some high-end vending. I've been talking to Taste of New York to get them involved. What we want to do is ensure that we have local. Local, 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 because heartbeat of our community is right here. You know, So we want to make sure that that is displayed throughout our entire terminal. Mark Kiefner, Broome County Aviation Commissioner, overseeing the Greater Binghamton Airport. Thank you. Absolutely. It's 9.57 at WNBF and WNBF.com. I'm Bob Joseph. A busy morning. We've got more information for you and, dare I say, even a few more questions. Coming up on WNBF. You want Same morning. No, it's a Thursday morning. Bob Joseph, WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It is still 54 degrees at 10.04. Haven't budged in the last hour with light rain through Binghamton. Winds out of the west right now at 6 miles per hour, but the National Weather Service says there is still a potential for some thunderstorm activity. 70% chance of showers, possibly a thunderstorm, mostly cloudy today and rebounding into the mid-60s. Early this morning after midnight, the temperature was actually in the mid-70s. Broome County District Attorney says a continued crackdown on illegal weapons in the region is sending another repeat offender back to prison. According to a news release from DA Michael Korchak's office, 32-year-old Tavon Bynum Sr. of Binghamton has entered a plea of guilty in Broome County Court to the violent felony of attempted criminal possession of a weapon. The plea stems from an August 6th car crash at North Jensen and Vestal Roads. Vestal police found Bynum standing outside a damaged Honda Accord. Authorities reported Bynum appeared to be intoxicated, and he tried to run away from the scene on foot as officers approached. Vestal police were able to apprehend him. The police say while they were arresting Bynum, they found him with an unlicensed and loaded 38 caliber revolver in his pocket. Bynum is prohibited from owning or possessing a firearm as he has a prior felony conviction for sale of narcotics. That conviction dates back to 2016. City of Binghamton is announcing it has sent lockdown warnings to the owners of four crime-prone properties. Binghamton Mayor Jared Cram says lockdown warning letters have been sent to the owners of 53 Shenango Street, 5 Grace Street, 314 Prospect Street, and 92 Robinson Street. The Prospect Street property was the site of a shooting resulting in an attempted murder charge on Monday. But the city says that site was already on its radar prior to that incident. The site on Robinson Street had been the scene of after-hours nightclub activity. Under the city's lockdown law, officials assigned points to properties for different types of nuisance activity. If a building receives 12 or more points in six months or 18 or more in 12 months, Building owners are notified their properties have been deemed a public nuisance and have 30 days to submit a plan to fix the issues before the city files a complaint in court to temporarily close the premises. Mayor Cram says additional properties are currently being monitored by city officials under the ongoing program. 
WMBF News Time 1007. A Montrose woman is accused of leaving dogs locked in a hot trailer with no food or water. Pennsylvania State Police say they were called about dogs on September 8th and found the animals to be severely malnourished. 26-year-old Michaela Kingston is charged with felony cruelty to animals. Troopers removed the dogs that were locked in the hot trailer at State Route 706 and U.S. Highway 11, and they were taken to Griffin Pond Animal Shelter. Experts at the rescue facility found the dogs had numerous medical issues, quote, due to malnourishment for an extended period of time. The news release from the state police has not said how many dogs were found in the trailer home, if there were any deceased animals, or if there were any other animals on the property. The authorities say after they determined Kingston was the owner of the dogs, felony charges were filed on September 20th. It's not clear if the animals remain housed at the Griffin Pond Animal Shelter or if they will be put up for adoption. WMBF News Time 1008. Renovation work is underway inside a former bank building on Washington Avenue in Endicott to convert it to an ethnic foods grocery store. Four partners are preparing to open Deshihala Bazaar, where a Citizens Bank branch office had been located until the company closed it a year ago. Partners in the grocery store project say they expect the business will open within the next month or two. The shop will stock Indian and Pakistani food items that are not normally readily available in the Endicott area. In addition to halal meat, the store will sell vegetables and fresh fish. Remodeling of the former bank began about two weeks ago. Citizens Bank moved its branch office from Washington Avenue to a smaller space on North Street. And the Binghamton Philharmonic Orchestra kicks off its season with some random yelling on purpose. The orchestra's 2022-23 season starts Saturday at the Broome County Forum Theater in Binghamton with American Journey, which is a concert exploring classical music of the Americas. The concert will also include a less than traditional offering. That's a 7 o'clock shout. It's a 2020 tribute to healthcare workers by contemporary composer Valerie Coleman. Includes the musicians randomly shouting out during the performance. The performances will also include George Gershwin's Piano Concerto in F with soloist Andrew Russo at the piano, Aaron Copeland's four dance episodes from Rodeo, and Arturio Marquez Danson number two. The concert begins at 7.30. Children age 17 and under are admitted free. For ticket information, contact the Binghamton Philharmonic box office at 607-723-3931. WMBF Newstime, 1009. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, we have the clouds today, 70% chance of showers, possibly a thunderstorm, a high rebounding into the mid-60s. Tonight, it could be a windy one with wind gusts as high as 21 miles per hour, mostly cloudy, showers possibly reemerging after midnight, a 60% chance of those showers as we head toward morning, a low in the low 40s tomorrow. A 40% chance of mainly morning showers, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny. Winds could be gusting as high as 28 miles an hour. 
a high tomorrow only in the mid-50s. Mostly sunny on Saturday with a high in the mid-60s. Sunday, mostly cloudy, 60% chance of afternoon showers, a high in the mid to upper 60s. And Monday, partly sunny, 60% chance of mainly afternoon showers and a high in the mid-60s. Currently 54 in Binghamton. It's 10-12, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph, happy when it rains, but in the interest of full disclosure, also quite pleased when it's sunny. So, bottom line is, I'm the poster child for contentment. That's what it's about here at WNBF. Contented and looking forward always at News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. Coming up today on the website, WNBF.com, people will be looking forward to some very interesting stories. Yes, I was out in the rain this morning taking some pictures, asking a few questions about something going on in a neighborhood, no less. You know, people are saying, Bob, when it's raining, why do you go out and report? There's no need for that. You just wait for the news releases to come flowing in via the email. It's a lot of trouble to go out there in the middle of the rain. The middle of the rain. Well, come on, man. If I don't go out there and traipse through the mud and ask all the questions, you know, seriously. Seriously. Somebody has to do it. That's what I do. 1014 WNBF WNBF.com And now the WNBF, WNBF.com with Bob Joseph Thursday morning and we welcome to the program Kathleen Newcomb and Christopher Strino running for Broome County Sheriff and Under Sheriff and it's good to have you in our studio. Thank you for having us, Bob. Good Thank morning. Thank you very much. You know, it's only 47 days till the election. I know that now. (laughs) I'm excited. It'll go by quickly. Anyway, uh, so Kate Newcomb and Chris Strino, thank you for being with us. Um, So Captain Newcomb, you've been with the Broome County Sheriff's Office for how long now? I'm in my 31st year. All right. Some have been there longer, you know. That's true. The sheriff has. (laughs) He's been there for more than half a century. And Chris Strino... You've been with the Vestal Police Department for how many years? I'm in my 26th year there. Really? Yes. Wow. I hope I can set some longevity records myself <laughs> someday. Anyway, it's um, 
it is important for people to get to know the candidates. I think I think people on one level say, well, I've heard of uh, Kate Newcomb and I've heard of Chris Drino from time to time in the news over the years. But uh, what happens now over the next several weeks, people make an important decision about who will guide the Broome County Sheriff's Office over the next four years. So, Captain Newcomb, give me a sense of what your what your primary mission is to communicate with prospective voters between now and November 8th. Yeah, sure. So let me start with Bob. On September 6th, we had a meet the candidate night um, at the Touch of Texas venue up in the town of Shenango, where I introduced uh, Chris as my undersheriff. We had a large uh, crowd there that night, well over 100 people, and we had a lot of um, a lot of spirit and energy in the room. I think that a lot of people are excited about this um, announcement. And uh, as far as Chris is concerned, you know, he and I have had a lot of uh, talks about the sheriff's race over the last year or so. And uh, what's exciting is that Chris has some experience in the correctional facility. He started his career in law enforcement in the correctional facility, and he's the only one in this race who has that experience. Uh, He was part of the transition team when we moved from the old jail facilities into the public safety facility that we're in now, and uh, he he understands and knows uh, direct supervision in the correctional atmosphere. And uh, he deals with the Commission of Corrections in his role now at the Vestal Police Department because they do have a holding cell there. So in addition to that, Chris has a lot of experience in major case investigation as an investigator as well as a supervisor. Uh, So he brings that to the table as well. Uh, But I don't want to steal the limelight. I want Chris to be able to talk about himself. But I'm very excited to have Chris as my partner and look forward to November 8th. Chris Strino... I'm thinking back to what the old jail facility was like. That goes way back. What, what year was was that uh, that it was fi- um, used here in downtown Binghamton? Nineteen, I don't know, eighty something. Oh, we were into the nineties before okay. we moved into the new facility right. up on Front Street. Because I, I know when I go up to the public safety facility, and I think it might say. I can't remember what the year. Do you remember what it, what yeah, is it says 95, 95 or 96 so I still, was when we moved in. I'm still amazed. Here we are 28, 27 years later. I just can't. I still call it the new jail, the new sheriff's office. But I do remember what uh, the, the previous situation was like downtown. Fortunately for the county, the, uh, the new jail and the new public safety facility were built. Tell us in terms of some of the lessons you learned in overseeing the public safety, the the jail portion, the correctional facility, some lessons that were learned back then, and some of the things that you would apply going forward if you become undersheriff starting in 2023. Well, I can tell you that I am excited to get back to my roots with the sheriff's office. Uh, I started in late 1991, and I worked at the old jail on Front Street, which is now a gas station, and uh, also worked downtown, worked uh, couple of details in the courts as well over those years we transitioned into the new jail it was a it was a whole new philosophy of direct supervision coming from linear jails where you had inmates locked in their individual cells um, the officers became more interactive with the inmates you you put about 50 inmates in a, in a pod with one officer supervising them and the the way you supervise them was was different you interacted with them um it was behavior-based. 
uh, more than anything. But, um, you know, at the time, it was the most expensive county building uh, ever built. It was quite a transition to move. Uh, We sent all of our employees out of town to learn direct supervision. And then we came back and trained them and uh, transitioned into that new building. Why did you get interested in law enforcement, starting with the sheriff's office initially in in that capacity, and then uh, eventually joining the the Vestal Police Department? What prompted you to um, explore this type of career? You know, I don't remember it, but my parents tell me that I was about six years old when I said I wanted to get into law enforcement. And they asked me why. Do you want to lock up bad guys? And I know it's corny. But they say my answer was I wanted to help people. And I've always wanted to to help people. I've always been uh, concerned about the public, about the citizens that we serve. And that's why I do it. It's corny. I remember the first week of the police academy, we had an instructor who did not show up. And they were trying to figure out what to do with our class. They asked each individual recruit to come up in front of the class and kind of give an impromptu speech on why the same question you just asked and then the uh the director said and i don't want to hear any of this i just want to help people crap and i sat in my chair thought oh my god what am i going to say and it's it's it was the truth it was it's how i feel it's how i felt then and evidently it's how i felt as a kid where were you growing up i'm originally from broom county um my father was an IBMer, so we got shipped out of out of state for five years when i was little and then we returned here i uh settled in the town of Binghamton uh, way back in uh, 1975, and uh, I've I've, uh, purchased my own home there, and I live there still. And tell me about the transition. What year did you join the Vestal Police? 1997. I went to the police academy here at at Broome County. How about the running? Was the running fun? Uh, yes, actually, my uh, my academy class was one of the first, if not the first, to kind of change the atmosphere there from what it had been to, uh, you know, s- strictly classroom to more uh, physical, uh, military-like, paramilitary-like training uh, throughout. We, uh, we uh, our class nicknamed ourselves the new breed at the time. It's kind of a running joke we have with our my classmates, um, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, how many people actually made it through that academy? Because not everybody who starts makes it through. So I had a small class of about 19, and I think we lost two uh, before we were done. Talking with Chris Trino and Kate Newcomb. Um, uh, Captain Newcomb, give me, uh, and maybe we've touched on this in the past, I don't recall if we have, about how you got involved in law enforcement. Uh, talk about your early years. What prompted you to think law enforcement is uh, a good career path? You know, I think it's interesting listening to Chris speak about his experience because mine is very similar. Uh, from the time as far back as I can remember, it was just something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to go into law enforcement. Um, you know, my mother was a police dispatcher, and, uh, you know, she encouraged me. And it helped me along. So uh, I think it's I think it's a calling. And you know I've often talked to Sheriff Harder about it as well, and he felt the same way that it's it's more of a calling. It's just it's not something you necessarily think about. It's more you know just you you know that that's that's your path, and you know that that's what you want, and you move forward to attain that goal. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Shenango Bridge. Mm-hmm. I attended Shenango Valley High School. Uh, I was just talking to Kathy about that. She's an alumni as well of Shenango Valley and uh, went to SUNY Broome and then, you know, got hired by the sheriff's office in my early 20s and, of course, been there ever since. And what was it like to be 
one of the few women in law enforcement in Broome County at that time. I think it was a, an interesting experience, uh, and and I think that uh, women in law enforcement, you know, we still we still have uh, you know some battles. Uh, certainly, it's a it's it's a different career for women than it is for men. In so far as uh, women have a role in law enforcement, Bob, uh, we not, may not be as strong as men, but we bring a different skill set to the table, and oftentimes uh, we're called upon to interact with the children, interact with other women. Um, in, in domestic violence incidents, things of that nature, sensitive cases. And uh, I, I think that we, we play that role, and I give a shout-out to all the women in law enforcement because I think they do a, a great job. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard job. I think you and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, it's a tough job for men or women. And, uh, you know, you have to have a little bit of tenacity and grit to do that job and so uh i give a shout out to to any woman who is willing to step up and do that do that job are there days when women are still fighting for respect regardless of what level they are whether they're out um patrolling the streets of the city or broom county or whether they're in administrative capacities yes certainly i think that uh I, i think certainly you know things are much better as, as time goes on, uh, I often say that when, when I was a deputy sheriff on the on the road patrol, you know, out on the streets every single day, uh, I, I actually got more problem from women who were under the influence than I ever did from any man. So uh, it's it's just it's an interesting dynamic when you're dealing with the public and you know who you're going to you know who you're going to get some resistance from versus who's going to cooperate with you. I have often found through my career that dealing with the men in public, uh, I've, I've never, ever had an issue whatsoever. Uh, and I think a lot of it goes back to how you treat people. You treat people with respect. And, you know, I'm sure that your parents told you the same old adage that, that my mother did. You know, you treat people the way you would like to be treated. So I think that that goes a long way. And I think that that uh, resonates in your career when you're dealing with the public. It's 1030 on this Thursday morning. I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM and 1290 AM. We're speaking with Kate Newcomb and Chris Strino, the Democratic candidates. The Democratic candidates. That's correct. Yeah. Although Chris is not a Democrat, he is a registered Republican. Are you? So so what oh, so what does that mean? I hadn't even thought about that. If if you're a registered Republican, is does this cause uh, any potential issue? I hadn't even thought. Well, about. that's. I think that's that's a great question because in my mind, your your political party affiliation should have absolutely nothing to do with how you exercise your law enforcement job day to day. If uh, I'm sure, if you were home and you needed a police officer to arrive immediately, you would not. Uh, ask the dispatcher what their party affiliation is before they respond to to help you i I, it's one of the things i've always um disliked about uh you know uh an elective law enforcement uh professional is you know it just doesn't seem to fit it's this is we don't do the job because of our political affiliation we do it because it was a calling we're here to help the community to serve the community and uh again your party affiliation should not have anything to do with how you exercise that law enforcement capacity. And Captain Newcomb, I believe you had been a registered Republican, correct, until your loss in the primary against Fred Axshar. Is that correct? Um, no, that's not correct, oh, Bob. Okay. There, there was no primary. Oh, 
That's okay. Um, <laughs> no, there, you're right. There was no primary. <laughs> nope, that's no problem. Uh, before I even made my announcement, which was last September in 2021, uh, I had changed my party from Republican to Democrat. Uh, I think it's I think it's important to note that I was a registered Democrat up until the time I was 30 years old, and you know at that time I did change my uh, party affiliation. And um, when I began exploring running for the office of sheriff, uh, you know there was a number of things that that I looked at, a number of people that I spoke to, and I had several instances of uh, meetings with. The then sitting, um, you know, committee of the Demo- local Democratic Party, and uh, they asked me to run as their candidate. And um, you know, we had a, a number of conversations, a number of meetings discussing that. And I ultimately changed my party, but I agree with Chris, and I stand by this. I said it at my announcement speech. Um, I think that I've mentioned it several times since then. Is that public safety is not about politics? Public safety is about protecting and serving the people that we serve. And, um, you know, I, I have said the same thing that Chris said in the past, and that is I talk to hundreds of people a year um, in, in my official capacity at the sheriff's office, and never once has somebody asked me what my political affiliation was. You know, when somebody calls me and says that, you know, they have a problem with speeding cars on their road or whatever the, their, their issue happens to be, um, they, don't, they don't care about politics and, you know, Bob, I think it's important to note, too, that as I've been out interacting and engaging with the public over the last year or so, uh, I've had a number of people come up to me and say, hey, you don't remember me or maybe you don't know who I am, but, you know, you helped me one time. And I often say to them, well, can you, you know, jog my memory and let me know what I did? And, you know, it's usually the little thing. It's the little things that count, right? You, I got a police officer out there to run radar on the road or, or something of that nature. And, again... When we're interacting and talking, and they're talking about, hey, I had a problem and you helped me, it's, it's not about whether I'm a Democrat or a registered Republican. That, that's not what it's about. So you are running against Fred Akshar, who you know well, of course, and you've worked with him years ago. You had a relationship with him. Tell me about the dynamics of this campaign. I, I just think the campaign dynamics are are fascinating and I, i'm just curious your perspective about running in this type of situation yeah sure uh so i i think that it's important to uh run a professional campaign and i'm i'm running because i believe that i'm the best choice uh for broom county sheriff and uh i have been there at the sheriff's office for over 30 years with uninterrupted service i have not left i have not quit I have not turned my back on the public. So uh, that's why I'm running, and uh, I believe I'm the best choice. Um, You know, as far as any sort of dynamic that you're referring to, uh, I am, you know, my own person. I have my own campaign. I'm running that to the, you know, the the best of our abilities. It's a a team effort, obviously. And uh, and that's it. You know, there's... There's nothing exciting or sexy about it, Bob. It's just, you know, we're out there meeting the public, doing the best that we can, and um, staying above board and professional and classy. It's 1035. We're talking with Kate Newcomb and Chris Strino about the upcoming election for Broome County Sheriff and the undersheriff. So if somebody comes up to you at an event, a campaign event, or if you're just uh, just out in the community, and they say, 
please tell me in one sentence what makes you a better choice for sheriff of Broome County than Fred Akshar, what would your response be? It's going to be that my uh, 30 years of dedicated, uninterrupted service, uh, making the proper choices uh, with the community in mind, and um, doing the best that I possibly can to uh, move the sheriff's office forward in a positive and meaningful direction. What are the biggest issues that you see facing the sheriff's office, say, immediately, short-term, starting in January, if you become sheriff, and then over the course of the next four years? What are the the most significant issues that the next sheriff of Broome County will be dealing with? I think that the first and foremost that's on the the front of everybody's mind is the correctional facility. Uh, I I believe, and and, you know, I want to mention, too, that I I did have an opportunity. I was invited to speak to the Corrections Officers Union last week. Uh, I had a very positive experience with them. there was a lot of engagement, and it was a, a positive, um, professional conversation. So I just wanted to mention that. I think that um, as far as the correctional facility is concerned, my vision is that we have to be transparent and accountability, accountable to the public. And within the first 90 days of being elected, I will form a committee or a task force, if you will, uh, and bring the stakeholders to the table, Bob. That would be the mental health people the um i of course would include the corrections officers union and and representation from them um substance use disorder people people of faith and uh community re-entry and do a top to bottom assessment of the correctional facility and with input of from all those folks determine the best method for moving forward and um again i think that the what is paramount is the health and safety of everyone in the correctional facility, and that would be the incarcerated people as well as the corrections officers, right? Their, their health and safety is paramount. So I think that would be the number one thing. The number two thing would be recruitment. You know, in these days, uh, I think that a lot of people are having trouble with recruitment of employees, um, and, of course, we're seeing that as well at the, at the sheriff's office. So that would be number two is, you know, we have to ensure that we have the staff there that's adequate to, to staff the shifts, and you know you can imagine there's a whole plethora of issues if you don't if you don't have the adequate stuff uh, staff you know burnout, forced overtime, low morale. Um, so of course that would be that would be the number two. Um, number three would be uh, continue to building bridges with the community. I think that over the past few years um, it's gotten much better in the last year or two. But the anti-police rhetoric that we all experienced a few years ago. Um, well, tensions were high in 2020. High, uh, sure. It hasn't been that long since we saw protests, whether outside the sheriff's office on Front Street or here in downtown Binghamton. Some uh, focused on local issues and some just about general concern about social justice in the United States. So even though it seems a little more dormant right now, those issues haven't completely been addressed. For sure. So that's in the forefront of my mind as well. And that is to continue building bridges with the community to form a mutual respect relationship with the people that we serve. What steps can be taken? What more can be done here in Broome County to deal with gun violence? It it seems that well, here we're wrapping up summer, and I'll say, I mean, knock on whatever this is, I don't think this summer turned out to be as 
violent as I might have feared and as some of the people I know in law enforcement thought might happen when we were uh, last spring looking at, at some of the early trends. But still, even in, in Binghamton just the other day, we had um, a person get get shot seriously injured over on Prospect Street, actually just a uh, short distance from the town of Dickinson line. The case could have been caught by the sheriff's office. Uh, but the bottom line is gun violence is still a big concern here in Broome County and across the country. Is, is there more that you think can be done by the next sheriff and undersheriff? Well, I'll jump in here, I guess. Uh, I, I think there's... There's a lot to it. There's a lot of limbs on this tree when you're talking about gun violence. Where are these guns coming from? Uh, you you need to figure that out. Are the uh, a lot of guns are coming from burglaries? Uh, we go to the root cause. Do we do we talk to gun owners about securing their weapons better? Do we talk about legislation? You know, the, it's it's tough to be specific and talk about what can actually uh, make an effect, but. I mean, you need to do some research. We need to see where these guns are coming from. Who whose hands are they getting into? There's other. There's so many other factors. You know, uh, it, it can relate to bail reform. Are <laughs> some of these people maybe not only should they not have a gun? Maybe they should not be on the street. There's a lot of factors that that are involved. Every case is different. No no case is the same. You, you can never have a black and white textbook answer to situations like this. And Captain Newcomb, uh, Cristino brought up uh, bail reform and. Many local police uh, officers and and certainly uh, administrators have have sometimes been fairly outspoken, including um, talking about the issue in news releases as as apparently in some way explaining or trying to explain to constituents why somebody who has been charged with what appears to be a very serious offense why they're out on the street again. So as the uh, potential next sheriff of Broome County, what's your take on that? Do the people in Albany need to make some big changes from the revisions that were made a few years ago? Well, I certainly think that from the law enforcement's perspective that the system needs to be uh, tweaked a little bit, Bob. It's a balancing act, right? Uh, We didn't see that here in Broome County, but, you know, certainly they used examples of – people being incarcerated or imprisoned as a punitive uh, function. And, of course, I don't think that anybody would agree that 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 would be uh, correct. So I I think that it's a balancing act, and I I think that it needs to be tweaked. I think that there has to be a lot more thought and consideration and input from people who are in the criminal justice system, um, who who are working with the system every single day. We need input from those folks to ensure that it, that it functions correctly and Again, the the most important thing that we need to stress is the health and safety of the public. Um, that is that is paramount. That is number one. If I could talk to the real quick about the um, the weapons, I would just add in addition to what Chris said, uh, the ghost guns. And I think that we need to think outside the box where ghost guns are concerned. And I think that we need to go um, to the people who are manufacturing these. Obviously, we've seen a. a, a you know, an increase in ghost guns, not only here locally, but of course in New York City, you know, you see the headlines quite frequently about the number of ghost guns that they take off the street. And something needs to be done with that as far as the people who are manufacturing those guns and, you know, the ease of being able to purchase them online. And I, I definitely think that that needs to be looked at and scrutinized and, and addressed. In terms of 
addressing other perhaps more systemic issues that that play into um incidents that end culminate in violence and sometimes they might involve uh, guns or other weapons sometimes no weapons are involved but sometimes people still get seriously hurt we know in many cases one of the reasons that crimes happen involve people with mental health issues what more do you think could be done in broome county dealing with uh questions surrounding mental health and getting people the help that they need well i think uh as much as the police you'll, you might hear the police uh, complain about bail reform there is some good that's come from reform uh the police have stepped back and started looking internally about how we deal with the public and our and the way we interact with the public the executive order that came out, Executive Order 203, which, you know, came out from Albany and, and forced us, forced municipalities to form a committee with the community to talk about police reform and different things we could do. Both the captain and I uh, were on those committees for our respective agencies, and we developed this uh, procedural justice philosophy that we're pushing out to all of law enforcement. And part of that and the main part of that is treating people with respect and dignity, being transparent, letting them have their voice so they can be heard, let them tell, let them tell their story, and then being able to explain the decisions that you make. Parts of that also are recognizing the history of law enforcement and how it has affected different demographics uh, improperly. And mental health, the mental health crisis falls into that too. We have a great mobile mobile health crisis, mobile crisis um, product here in Broome County that responds to scenes very often. And we're dealing with that as well as we are substance abuse, too. We, we, are, we are helping people get the, the help that they need. And we're looking at these folks more as human beings and not just criminals or drug addicts, um, not just crazy people. We are working hard with local groups, with advocates, with counselors, and the police officers in Broome County, all over Broome County, are are very well connected with mental health, mobile crisis, substance abuse counselors, and uh, getting people the help they need. Captain Newcomb, one thing we didn't touch on, new equipment, new technology. I know over the last few years, the sheriff's office has... Uh, in many cases, led the way rolling out some new technology as far as um, cameras and vehicles and having uh, all the patrol vehicles equipped with naloxone. Uh, going forward, say, in, in 2023, would there be any um, plans, initiatives that you have in mind to roll out new equipment or other use, employ new technologies for the sheriff's office? You know, what's interesting about law enforcement, Bob, and if you look at it over the last, you know, say five, six, seven years, is how much uh, culturally we have changed. You know, as Chris was just discussing, um, the the tools and resources that police officers nowadays have at their fingertips uh, with respect to mental health. uh, You know, we've also, as you well know, participated in a lot of new programs. We carry naloxone in the car. Many, many, we've saved many, many lives being the first ones on the scene, being able to deliver that dose um, of Narcan or Naloxone to somebody to, you know, counter-effect the effects of uh, an opiate. And um, 
we now have peers riding in our police cars too. Uh, you know, sub- substance use disorder peers, who people who are in recovery, who go out with the police and and try and engage and interact with folks who have substance use problems, and and you know, get them the services that they need. Maybe they're not ready for treatment, um, but maybe there's other other uh, things that they need that we can we connect can connect them with in the community. And, you know, we're, we're always looking at things like new equipment. What I can tell you right now, you know, as far as the sheriff's office is concerned, is uh, we're looking at <clears throat> newer, updated, faster modems in the police cars because, you know, let's, let's face it, the, the uh, average police officer, their office is their police car. They have a computer in there. <clears throat> they need to be able to access, you know, information quickly at their fingertips as events unfold. So that's one project that we right now are, are trying to move forward on, and it'll take us well into 2023. So, But but we're always looking at that. You know, you know, you and I have had conversations about this, that, that Sheriff Harder is a pioneer. You know, he's always looking at things that, you know, the latest, the greatest technology and equipment um, that money can buy and making sure that our police officers have that at those, dispo- those, those tools at their disposal um, so that, you know, they can, they can deal with the issues out on the street. Kathleen Newcomb, Christopher Strino, thank you very much for joining us. The election coming up November 8th. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you, you, Bob. Thanks. It's 1048. This is News Radio, WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com. Some person. News Radio, WNBF. WNBF.com. I'm Joseph with you on a Thursday morning. We're talking about the issues. If you have issues to discuss, you can call in at 607-772-1290. Or, if you prefer, send an email to bob at WNBF.com. There's uh, a note from Dave in Binghamton. And I didn't see this when Mark Kiefner was here, the Commissioner of Aviation. Why is BGM not called an international airport when we had customs since 1997? Ithaca changed its name right when they announced they would build the new building. Why not make the customs portion actually connect to the main terminal? So if we can get a commercial flight to Toronto or similar, it would be better off for all. Hmm. Now, uh, oh, also uh, separately, talking about airport operations and flights, Binghamton University as a state entity usually has to fly with the cheapest ticket, even if the total cost of travel is more. So say if a ticket at BGM Airport is $400 and a ticket at Syracuse is 350 but the vehicle cost to Syracuse is 60 technically they need to fly to Syracuse. It is based on the cheapest per item most of the time unless they get approvals well ahead of time. Cornell and Ithaca colleges, private schools have no such restriction. Hmm. Good points there as far as uh, the airport. Excellent points. And a lot will be happening with the airport. We'll be keeping in touch with... Commissioner Mark Kiefner and also the county executive Jason Garner in the coming weeks and months, especially when you think that the planned improvements at the airport 
have to be accomplished in a 24-month period. 1054 at WNBF, we've been advised that Mayor Cram will provide an update on the federal bankruptcy case involving owners of the Binghamton Plaza and the city's next steps. So that will be exciting. Finally, Parlor City's longest-running nightmare, the Binghamton Plaza, might be addressed. And I, for one, say, hear, hear. Here, here. I was in the um, was reporting on a story on the north side earlier this week, and I was talking with some of the people who live on the north side, and I I would encourage, I would encourage people from City Hall to start having some conversations with. Northside residents, I don't doubt they have some conversations, but I spoke with some people on the north side, and first they were glad that somebody would actually listen to some of their concerns. And we didn't talk at length because I didn't, I admit, I didn't have enough time. This was just working in, in the course of working on a story. And so I was having a conversation with, I think, about a half dozen people. And there's a lot of um, discontent and unhappiness in parts of the north side. And I can't say that I'm surprised. There, There are a lot of people on Binghamton's north side, in my experience, many people on the north side who feel that they're being ignored and that their concerns are not being properly addressed at city hall that's the that's definitely the impression i get from speaking with many people at various times on the north side and i the thing is i encourage them to call into the program and i'll i'll be the first to admit Many of the people have some of the greatest concerns about their neighborhoods and what's going on on the north side. They are not listeners to WNBF radio. That's true. Not everybody listens to WNBF, and certainly not everybody listens to this program. But I, even, even though they don't listen as a rule, I encourage people to call in and and I think at some point we're going to hear from more people on the north side who will call in and express their thoughts and concerns about what goes on or what doesn't go on in their neighborhoods even the thing about Shenango Street being closed for over a year and I've made the observation if Riverside Drive was cut in half if there was a detour on Riverside Drive for over a year, or on Main Street, or on Robinson Street, people at City Hall would say something about it. I don't know that they could do anything about it, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know that anybody at the city level could do a darn thing about speeding up the process of getting the Interstate 81 bridge fixed. I... I think it's probably out of their control. But it's interesting that they don't say anything about it publicly because apparently 
They don't consider it to be that big an issue. But the thing is, talking to people on the north side, on both sides of that bridge, that's a fairly important issue for many people. People who live, especially on the north side of the bridge, hey, they're isolated from the rest of Binghamton, the way it is. It's been over a year. Probably will be another couple of months before they can even get one-way traffic under that bridge, according to the DOT. But have you heard anybody at City Hall bring that up? Have they held a news conference? Have they expressed any concerns? No. But if a similar situation existed on Riverside Drive on the west side, or Robinson Street on the east side, or Conklin Avenue on the south side, I think the response might be different. And again, I'm not suggesting they can do anything about it, but certainly doesn't seem to be on their radar. Bob Joseph, live Working for you on WNBF. You wash your hands. at News Radio, WNBF, Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White. We have a good chance of showers, maybe even picking up another thunderstorm or two throughout the day today. There is a possibility of some strong winds if those thunderstorms materialize. Be aware of that. Temperatures rebounding into the mid-60s early this morning. The temperatures were actually in the low to mid-70s as we approached the 3 a.m. hour. New York's Attorney General is suing former President Donald Trump and his company, alleging business fraud involving some of their most prized properties and assets, including properties in Manhattan, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. Attorney General Letitia James' lawsuit was filed yesterday in state court in New York. It's the culmination of the Democrats' three-year civil investigation of Trump and the Trump Organization. Three of Donald Trump's adult children, Donald Jr., Jr., Ivanko, and Eric were also named as defendants, along with two longtime company executives, Ellen Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney. Alina Haba, an attorney for Trump, said the lawsuit is neither focused on the facts nor the law. In its 222 pages, the suit details dozens of instances of alleged fraud, many involving claims made on annual financial statements that Trump would give to banks, business associates, and financial magazines as proof of his riches as he sought loans and deals. The attorney general says, quote, this investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth to deceive banks banks, and the people of New York. Later in an interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity, Trump said his company's financial disclosures warned banks not to trust the information provided. Broome County firefighters are busy this morning at the scene of a house fire in Windsor. The blaze at 24 Riley Road was reported about 10 minutes to 6 in the morning today. Broome County Emergency Services officials said it believed that the structure was a single-family home and all the residents appeared to have gotten out safely. Firefighters from Windsor, West Windsor, Five Mile Point, Kirkwood were all called to the scene. Officers from Broome County Sheriff's Office, New York State Police responded along with fire investigators. The lot was located between Hilltop Lane and Foley Road, also known as Liberty Highway. Communications officials at the time said the location was closer to the intersection with Hilltop Lane, but the fire might possibly be visible from Route 17, Interstate 81 to the south, depending on the weather conditions. 
Pennsylvania State Police say they found a large amount of suspected methamphetamine in a car that they stopped on Route 11 in New Milford. They had two young children among the occupants. Authorities say 35-year-old Jarrell Chai Hong of Millerton, Pennsylvania, and 31-year-old Carrie Fetmonkon of Elmira were found to have about a half pound of the suspected narcotic in the car. Troopers say they noticed a car committing several traffic violations while traveling on U.S. Highway 11 in New Milford Township in Susquehanna County shortly before 7 p.m. on September 8th. The state trooper saw there were two small children in the vehicle and noticed what was believed to be criminal activity in the Ford Explorer. A police canine was brought in and the dog positively alerted to the presence of suspected drugs in the SUV. The couple is being charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver, conspiracy to commit possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver, and drug possession, as well as misdemeanor endangering the welfare of a child. Several months after security cameras were installed in an old city-owned parking facility, vehicle break-ins continue to be a problem. One incident of a car window being smashed in was reported yesterday afternoon. Only a small makeup bag was taken. City of Binghamton officials have not said whether live video from the devices in the State Street parking garage is being monitored at the police headquarters. After almost two dozen vehicles in the State Street ramp were damaged in a vandalism spree in 2016, the then mayor, Richard David, said the city would consider installing more cameras and possibly having an employee at the facility overnight to reduce the likelihood of criminal conduct. Regular overnight police patrols through the ramp were instituted. While patrol cars are still occasionally seen making a sweep through the garage in the early morning hours, the frequency seems to be less. Cameras finally were installed early this year, but initially they were unable to be observed from the police headquarters because there was no reliable internet connection, although video recordings could be made. It appears the fiber internet now is in place. City officials have not responded to requests for information about security measures at the site. Rain throughout the day today. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph with you, continuing the proceedings on a bittersweet morning because it occurs to me this is the final hour of broadcasting for me for the summer of 2022. Hush a little baby, 607-772-1290 is the hotline. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your name? Hey, Where are you uh, calling from? Hey, Bob. It's uh, Mike from Vestal. Yeah. Um, just curious. You know, I, I, I only heard bits and pieces of the last conversation with the, the Kathleen Newcomb there and uh, Chris Breno. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm the same. I have the same feeling. I, I don't care who you know who's affiliated with what political party for this 
um, particular office. But I'm curious, um, who's Fred Ashkar have for his undersheriff? I haven't heard anything about that. Is that something that you know anything about? I didn't see a news release on that. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know if he announced it yet. Maybe it'll be. Maybe it'll be someone I know. I. I maybe I missed it because I've been off for a few days. So I. I don't know who his undersheriff choice is. I. I hope she's someone good. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been looking a lot and googling a little bit. Didn't see anything. Haven't heard anything. And um, I think that'd be important to know because you know, she's come out with who. Her under sheriff is so you know it's uh, it's important to know who his is I guess you know yeah I'm I'm gonna look up uh, I'm on his website now called Fred Akshar um, so I'm looking at the website hold yeah. on let me see did you look at it already yeah I, I already did and I, uh, I did not see anything right. okay. so I don't know let me just page down of course the first thing listed goes back to January 14th. An endorsement, uh, then June 3rd, uh, formal announcement he made in June. Excuse me while I just keep paging down. Mm-hmm. So last thing under the news category of his website, the last thing posted on the website under news is from June 3rd. So I don't I don't see information on, on his choice for undersheriff, but... And again, yeah, I, know he, I know he listens to the program, as as all great people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, sure and, well, yeah, I, I, I certainly would encourage him to uh, you know call in now and, and let me know in case I missed it. Because, you know, look, I'm overwhelmed. You know, I, it's no secret. I'm trying to do I'm trying to do too much in any given day. So it's it's no wonder. It's no wonder I I come across as confused sometimes oh me too yep. so but yes uh fred akshar um if he has announced his under sheriff choice and based on what i can discern just quickly here doing a, a search i don't think he's announced his choice but when he announces if he announces i, I don't know i don't know that you have to announce but but since um his opponent since Kathleen Newcomb announced her choice of Christopher Strino. Oops. Sorry, we lost you. 11.13, next up, uh, on line 47, good morning. Uh, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? My name is Jim, and I am calling from the great city of Binghamton, New York. Thank you, Jim, also known as Parlor City. What's on your mind this morning? Well, I would just like to discuss the um, the current legal goings on um, between the Department of Justice and uh, Trump world. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't even get to that, you know. And I apologize because that's such a big story, and we've been so busy uh, talking with various people today. I haven't even mentioned it, and I it, it almost borders on. Uh, talk show host malfeasance, but tomorrow I guarantee to all of our listeners who think they've been shortchanged about what's going on with um, the uh, the former president and his legal challenges, we will more than make up for it on Friday's program. What's on your mind? Well, here I am. 
So. <laughs> oh yeah, you can you can you can start. I just want to admit we only have forty five min- minutes left in the program, and it hardly seems fair for people who want to talk about the legal entanglements of donald trump that's not going to be sufficient time but i want to assure people we will i think first thing out of the shoot tomorrow morning at least unless there's some sort of major local development first thing out of the shoot tomorrow morning i'll talk about donald trump but uh, what is on your mind for now about him well just uh, as a as a short segue i do love the equinox and i'm sad that they are broadcasting uh this summer uh, but anyway, I just thought that uh, just fascinating for those people who are who are watching intently, like me. I'm a political junkie and I pay attention. And uh, a one-two punch uh, from different corners. It seems like everything is coming to a to the fore. Everything is coming to a uh, to a head all at the same time between the New York Attorney General and the uh, Department of Justice winning in the 11th uh, Circuit Court of Appeals and uh, what's going on with uh, the DA in, in Fulton, Georgia, Fawny Willis. Um, it, it, uh, not to mention January 6th and what's going on with the... Uh, Congress looking into uh, his um, uh, campaign uh, finance uh, practices and, and what he's been doing as far as collecting with a pack and and just kind of funneling the money directly uh, to himself and his family. Things are not looking good in Trump world. No, they're not, but I've had this conversation with many people off the air. Nothing virtually nothing sticks to this guy he he really seems to be the teflon don and even with the walls apparently closing in with everything that transpired on wednesday uh both at at the uh, new york state level and also at the federal level my guess is the guy feels more confident than ever because for all the times that he seems to have been in some sort of trouble Every time people thought, oh, this is, the, this is finally it, whether it was when they released the uh, fabulous tape from Billy Bush's bus for, from Inside Edition. <laughs> I mean, I remember right. that in October of, of 2016. People were saying, well, there, there he's finally gone and done it, or the stuff he said about John McCain or other things. And I'll tell you, look at the guy. He's, he's remarkable. He's, he's almost, if you will, almost like a super person with superpowers. Well, he has found something within the American uh, psyche, and he has been able to tap into it to his benefit, no question. And uh, I, I, it, I'm here for the show, man. I'm here to tell you. Um, I, I am not happy to see him get away with, like, everything uh, ostensibly, although he has been held to account. Uh, I hear people refer to him on the news as the uh, twice-impeached, disgraced ex-president. Now, uh, the, the whole thing with the uh, Trump University and having to pay 
$25 million. I mean, it seems like he gets away with things, but there, there are definitely chinks in his armor. And uh, I think that the rule of law, when you say, you know, everyone is equal under the eyes of justice, equal justice under law, if we held him to the same account that we hold everyone else, um, he would definitely be put away. I would definitely be satisfied to see him uh, uh, banned uh, from uh, social media and politics for life. Just let him quietly retire to uh, Mar-a-Lago and uh, and call. I, I think- you know what I think his sentence could be if, and indeed, he hasn't been charged with anything. And we even if he is charged, we don't know whether he would be convicted. But say in the uh, event that Donald Trump winds up being charged and convicted of some serious crime, you know what I think his sentence ought to be. I'd love to hear it. He has to eat one Whopper every day for the rest of his life. No Big Macs, just Whoppers, one a day. See what <laughs> I'm saying that, there? That is cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> I know it is, but cruel and unusual. Uh, even uh, even the uh, Democratic appointees on the Supreme Court would rule that it's cruel and unusual. But it would be funny just for the first few months till the the High Court ruled unanimously that you can't do that to anybody. But still, just or even just to scare him, just just to say, Donald Trump, because you've been convicted by a jury of your peers, which also would be interesting. Where are they going to find nine people who could be considered Donald Trump's peers in this country? But anyway, say he is convicted of something, or 12 people. They need 12 people to convict him, which 12 peers of Donald Trump, how, how would they find those people but say if he did get tried on something particularly serious and he was convicted just have the prosecutor say after the conviction i'm going to ask the judge at sentencing to impose a one whopper a day for the rest of your life sentence just to see the look on his face i know even Uh, even that that would be mean i strike that from the record I see, you know, he's not wrong when he says the American people won't stand for it. When he says the American people read, i.e., his base, <laughs> I do agree that his base will not stand for an indictment, uh, let alone a conviction. And uh, I do see that we, as a people, are on the precipice of another civil war. I don't see it happening, uh, obviously, uh Red states against blue states, because truly they all states are purple. But uh, I do see a lot of um, assassinations occurring and, uh, like, uh, small band raid-type things, militia operations. Don't call me crazy, man. I, uh, I, I definitely see it starting uh, in little fits and, and starts. Well, the scary thing is, if if he continues to talk as he does in some of his interviews and some of his comments on social media, I think there would be the potential to have a whole bunch of many insurrections, sort of uh, regionalized insurrections, similar to what happened on January 6th last year in Washington, except they could happen at various spots all across this great land. Right. Like, uh, like the... Uh, uh, Artillery bombardment of Fort Sumter from South Carolina. Um, 
caused a lot of the other uh, southern states to fall in line uh, for secession. Just takes a giant spark and, you know, a lot of unintended consequences. Um, doesn't take long for things to get ugly quick. So just be ready, people. I know. Thanks, Jim. Let's hope for the best. Let's hope that uh, people who are upset that uh, one of their favorite people winds up being prosecuted. Let's hope they don't go overboard, because I don't want it to be wild next time. 1123, this is Bob Joseph. On News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming live at WNBF.com. Want to save? But even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to And there doesn't have to be a process. I can magically declassify documents just by thinking about it. It doesn't have to be a process. Oh, really? have to be if you're the president of the united states you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified even by thinking about it wookie dookie 1126 wnbf i'm thinking i feel like um who was uh who was the star of i dream of genie i dream of genie she i can picture her and then she would wiggle her nose and think about it and she would declassify the documents and then uh, uh, they would just be declassified and then the federal government would have to leave back to the phones we go it's joan in binghamton good morning oh they don't you didn't like the binghamton huh no no. What about uh, well, this thing? Where, where, what, is, what is this guy talking about where all he has to do is think about it and he can declassify documents? It's sort of magical. Well, you've got to realize that uh, after being president for four years, he's got a hell of a lot of classified documents in his brain. Yeah, so we can't repossess his brain, but... If he has any physical documents that don't belong to him, that belong to me, well, not me, but to the American public and the United States government, if they're listed as classified, the guy just can't say, hmm, I think that's declassified, so now I can put it in the room across from my pool. Sure, sure he could, because if it's... No, he can't legally. He may have done that, but it's not legal. No president, no former president. Let's put it that way. I can't speak to the powers that the president, the current president of the United States has. I suppose Joe Biden could think about declassifying documents because he's currently president. A former president can't do that. Come on, man. Well, you got to realize that all the documents that he has in his brain, he can just declassify them and tell somebody about them. How are you going to stop them? That's my point. There is... Uh, 
a, a present danger that he could do that. He can get on the horn with Putin even now. Maybe he already has over the last whatever it's been. It's been 19 months. I can't even keep track because time is moving so quickly. But bottom line is... Bottom line is, he may already have blurted out some of the nation's most critical secrets to his pal, President Putin. Well, and you know, Biden being uh, slightly Alzheimer's, you know, type of thing, you know, he might do it, uh, you know, who knows? Hey, I'll have none of that. I'll have none of that. He's the president. He can do what he wants. Donald Trump, when he was president for four years, he did exactly what he wanted. So stop with this... Oh, Joe Biden, blah, blah, you're, you're not qualified to be diagnosing Joe Biden's current condition. Yeah, but you got to realize Trump is one of the most investigated, I think, people. You don't have to even talk about president. You could- I know. I saw the other night, last week, Hannity, I think, did a role uh, on his highly acclaimed TV program showing dozens and dozens of investigations and when I saw that, Joan, I had to say, is Hannity actually working for Donald Trump or against him? Because he, he had this role that went on seemingly for almost two minutes of all the investigations focused against Donald Trump and the Trump organizations. Well, that's unfortunately in the United States, it's usually you investi- investigate a crime. Here, they are trying to find a crime which is against everything the U.S. stands for, picking people. They pick Bob Joseph. Let's see if we can find a crime. Let's just investigate him up the wazoo for as long as it takes to find a crime. The reason they won't do that, because there's absolutely no evidence of criminality involved, whereas with the former guy, there are lots of indications that there was potential wrongdoing and maybe even stuff that rises to the level of criminality yeah but they tell lies and they investigate the lies and then they say well no we can't prove it sorry you know sorry we we messed you up and made your name mud etc because we were looking for something so we figured we'd accuse you of uh you know uh whatever you know the real bad stuff you know with children or something like that how does anybody get their reputation back after that now they're accusing trump of that no but if they did whose children that's this is the first time you can't be serious joan don't don't impugn his integrity that way you, that's the only thing they haven't tried but with children Oh, come on, man. That's that's going low. That's go when when they go high, you go low. It's suggesting that he had anything to do with children. I I don't believe that. Cuz they get desperate. You know, if they get desperate They are never never ever. There's no evidence in in Mr. Trump's entire life going back to his early years in Queens and even the summers he spent here in the Binghamton area at summer camp, there's never been any evidence of that kind of impropriety involving anyone underage. You can always pay somebody to say something. By the way, now, wait, hold on a second. I have to look that up because I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. I, I made a declarative statement, and I'm not sure what I just declared is accurate. I, I encourage people to take a close look at the 
at the Internet, Google for yourself to see some of the accusations that previously were put forward regarding the former guy. Because it's possible what I just said may not be entirely accurate. So please use your search engines and search under Donald Trump and accusations, and that, that may help to clarify. And if, if I made an error with that sweeping, sweeping declaration about Donald Trump, I, I, certainly, I certainly apologize if I got that wrong. If I got that wrong, I certainly will bring it up the next time that Donald Trump is on this program. He's only been on once, but that doesn't mean he won't be on again. That's why you have to always stay tuned to Bob Joseph on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. You're in. Got smart about mortgages. Now it's my house I go home to. I got smart about credit cards. Now paper or plastic has a whole new meaning. When it comes to your money, whatever you want to get smart about, you can find it at smartaboutmoney.org. Smartaboutmoney.org is a free online resource from the National Endowment for Financial Education. We're an independent nonprofit foundation dedicated to helping people just like you get sound information about money. Smartaboutmoney.org. It's the easy place to start when you want want to get smart. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Donald Trump, Mr. Trump joining us from Florida. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. So how are things in Florida? Uh, cool. They're going, despite global warming, there is a major cold snap, so Florida is very cold. And that's okay. You know, cold means like 50 as opposed to very cold. Uh, you'd love to have 50 up in uh, Binghamton. I know that. Thank you, Mr. Trump. That's all the time we have for today. Looking forward to our next opportunity to speak with Donald Trump live on WNBF. That was just a snippet from a previous broadcast. 11.36 now. We do turn live to congressional candidates Josh Riley, good morning. Welcome to WNBF, where everybody calls in. <laughs> hey, Bob, it's so good to, to be with you. Yeah, what did you think of that? That was uh, that was not an imposter. That was a recording of Donald Trump on WNBF. Yeah, well, it's, it's a, a tough act to follow following the the, uh, the former president. <laughs> One of these days, I'll tell you what, if he has nothing going on on uh, Friday, tomorrow, I would encourage him to call in at 9.15 because, as you might imagine, I would have a few questions for him. And I think he would enjoy the the return, the return engagement to uh, our program. I'm sure. Anyway, that's not why you called. You're in the middle of uh, a campaign uh, you're the Democratic candidate. You're running against Republican Mark Molinaro in New York's newly drawn 19th Congressional District. And now it's 47 days before Election Day. Give me a, a status report on your campaign. Yeah, 40, 47 days. Uh, who's counting? Um, yeah, last time we talked, Bob, was right after uh, the primary, uh, which we had on August 23rd. And uh, we had a great result there. Uh, we won that by over 25 points, carried each of our 11 counties by double digits, gave us a really strong base of support going into the general election. And we've really been keeping the momentum going. Um, a few updates since we last 
talk, we've continued to pick up some really great endorsements, including uh, Planned Parenthood uh, has endorsed our campaign. Uh, the National Organization of Women uh, has endorsed our campaign. Those are really important endorsements because I'm the pro-choice uh, candidate in this race. My opponent is anti-choice, and he's opposed codifying Roe into law. Uh, he says women's health care decisions should be left up to politicians. I disagree with that. Uh, we've also picked up a lot of labor support. Um, from the beginning, I've tried to run a campaign by working people for working people, and we've been endorsed by unions from the teachers' union to the Teamsters, and uh, that's, that's really exciting. Uh, from a campaign finance perspective, um, I have some exciting news to report. Um, folks who have been following the campaign know that I've never taken any uh, corporate PAC money. Uh, my opponent, by contrast, takes takes a lot of corporate PAC money, including uh, from the oil industry, among other places. I've, I've never taken any of it. And in the 24 hours after the polls closed, in the primary, we set a record. Uh, for the campaign with over 1,500 individual people chipping in to, to support the campaign, which was uh, really uh, humbling for us. And then finally, the other uh, piece of news that's come out in the last uh, week or two is that um, there's a couple of polls in this race, uh, and both of them show us ahead by three points, uh, which means this is uh, a neck-and-neck -neck race going into these last uh, six weeks, uh, but I think it also shows that we have uh, a lot of momentum on our side. And one thing that I'm hearing as I've been uh, traveling across uh, the district and, and spending a lot of time in Broome County is there are a lot of Republicans, a lot of independents, um, and a lot of Democrats who are um, excited about the prospect of electing somebody from Broome County uh, to represent Broome County in Congress for the first time in 70 years. And that's especially uh uh, the case when my opponent is from downstate Dutchess County, uh, not in the district. It's 1140. We're talking with Democratic congressional candidate Josh Riley on this Thursday morning on WNBF. What do you make of these uh, TV ads? And I guess they're online as well, paid for by the Congressional Leadership Fund. They, they say you're too extreme and you're dangerous and uh, cashless bail has been made possible by your extreme liberal allies uh at first have you have you seen the commercial i did i saw it uh, at first i thought it was a parody uh, account or something and somebody told me it was real uh it's it's um you know this this is exactly the sort of desperate tactics uh that people are so sick of in our politics um, I mean, maybe it'll come as a surprise <laughs> to folks who saw that commercial. I come from a law enforcement family. Uh, my, my mom just retired as a probation officer in Tioga County. My cousin works in the jails in Broome County. And you have these ridiculous ads saying Josh wants to defund the police or something like that. I, I'll tell you, I'm not going to defund my mom. Uh, and I have a strong track record of standing with law enforcement. And so... Um, the, the ads are laughable because they're so outrageously wrong. And, you know, people people know me and they know uh, my record. They know I'm pragmatic. They know I'm focused on uh, bringing people together, finding common ground, solving real problems, uh, things like revitalizing the economy around here, creating really good jobs that give folks a pathway to the middle class. So I'm going to continue to focus on what matters to voters. Um, 
issues like uh, freedom and liberty and, and our democracy and uh, creating jobs and lowering costs. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to stay positive, stay focused, and uh, if you know the special interests want to come in with with these ridiculous ads, that's their prerogative. And for our listeners who haven't seen any of the spots yet, I'm just going to play just a, a few seconds, the last part of of one of their commercials, so people get a flavor for what the Congressional Leadership Fund is uh, using its money in the 19th district what um, that entity is uh, putting on the air as they um, paint a, a certain a certain portrait of you law enforcement called the law dangerous and insane in congress riley's agenda will be their agenda they want to defund the police even as crime rages out of control across the state josh riley extreme liberal dangerous Congressional leadership. So, okay, they they say you're extreme, liberal, and dangerous. Uh, first, are you extreme? <laughs> I mean, I'm none of those things. Are you I, liberal? I, I, I'm pragmatic above all else. And are you dangerous? I don't think I'm dangerous. Uh, I don't think I'm any of those things. And I got to tell you, you know, th- this whole idea of defund the police is this is the stupidest thing that anybody from the Democratic Party has ever had come out of their mouth. It is, uh, I totally, <laughs> I totally disagree with it. Uh, I stand by uh, law enforcement. I come from a law enforcement family. When I worked as counsel in the United States Senate, I actually worked on legislation to fund law enforcement, to provide funding for things like uh, crisis intervention training and diversion programs to make sure that we're dealing with mental health issues as a public health issue and not a criminal justice issue. So I have a really clear track record on this. And look, at, at the end of the day, I have a huge amount of faith in voters. Um, I have a huge amount of faith in people across upstate New York uh, to see through the lies and the nonsense and to, um, to understand what's real and what's not. And for me, what's real are the conversations folks have been having with me throughout this campaign about uh, concerns about their daughters and their sisters growing up in a world uh, where women don't have equality and concerns about, uh, you know, making sure they can afford to fill up the tank and also get the groceries. So that's what I'm focused on. Uh, I'm going to stay focused on the things that matter uh, to real people across upstate New York and not this, this nonsense from the outside groups. And, of course, we played a part of that that one commercial. There are other entities, too, that are from outside the district that are running uh, ads with um, the appropriately uh, concerning music and the very threatening voiceover guys who I'm sure get paid a pretty penny to read the script. But um, are you going to – Is and I, I haven't noticed, and maybe I've just missed him – Is are there other outside entities that are running commercials right now, basically to help support your campaign? And perhaps, uh, and well, in fact, I think we now that I think about it, there there are ads that are running that uh, are attacking Mark Molinaro on the, the issue of choice and abortion. So who, who's running those spots? I mean, obviously, it's not your campaign, but it's somebody. It's an entity that supports you for Congress. Yeah, I, I don't. So I don't pay a ton of close attention to what the outside uh, groups are doing. I know that there are some ads that are running that point out my opponents. Um, I mean, you want to talk about dangerous? Uh, he has a dangerous record. 
freedom, and I know um, that there's some communications about that. Uh, this is somebody who opposed codifying Roe into law. He voted three times, I think, against uh, marriage equality. There was, a, there was a vote that he took when he was in the assembly about the question was whether women who are in jail should be shackled when they go into labor. And he thought that was okay, apparently, and voted for it. So he, you want to talk about a dangerous record that that said, and my understanding is there might there's there's some advertisements around that. I can tell you what our campaign is doing. Um, we have uh, some ads uh, talking about my vision for uh, the, the the future of the economy in upstate New York and in Broome County, which is one where we have a whole bunch of really exciting high tech manufacturing jobs where folks can go do an apprenticeship or go to a, um, a, a one- or two-year uh, training program and then get a really good job making lithium-ion batteries in the Huron campus or uh, making solar panels, uh, making semiconductors. Um, that's what I want to focus on because um, I think that's what's important to folks here. All right. And just for people who haven't uh, seen a, one of the ads from an outside entity, um, Part of their script asserts that Mark Molinaro supports taking away a woman's right to choose. Uh, also shows uh, imagery, scary imagery, uh, as as we've come to expect in TV ads, uh, making making Mark Molinaro look like a villainous guy. Uh, um, with as the commercial opens, we see various women and. The voiceover indicates that uh, women should ha- be able to make their choice and their decision, and it certainly makes Mark Molinaro look like uh, one of the most evil people ever to live in New York State. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't, I don't know that I've seen uh, that ad. Um, what I do know is what his his record is on this issue, which is really a stark contrast with mine. I, you know, when I was a, a, a attorney. In my private legal practice, one of the things I worked on uh, with uh, the American Association of University Women, National Organization of Women, uh, I argued in federal court that we should ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, what that would do is put women's equality crystal clear, black and white, in the United States Constitution so that uh, an ultra-conservative Supreme Court or uh, ultra-conservative politician wouldn't be able to, to take that away. Um, that's my record on the issue. I've, I've said very clearly, I believe that abortion is health care and uh, women's health care decisions are theirs to make, not politicians. And that's my view. My opponent has a very different view on this. He's, he's said very clearly Roe should not be codified uh, into law. He uh, said very clearly that these decisions should be made uh, by the states, which means they should be made by politicians. And I just I, I think that is that is wrong, and I don't think that's. Uh, I, I think that's an affront to women's equality and, and freedom. Josh Riley, the Democratic candidate in New York's new 19th congressional district, challenging Republican Mark Molinaro. Thank you for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me, Bob. Really, really appreciate it, and uh, all your listeners. Thanks for for taking some time. You're welcome. Take care. It's 11.50 News Radio, WNBF with Bob Joseph. We interview the candidates. We ask a few questions. And remember, ultimately, whether it's for congressional seats or sheriff, ultimately, 
It's up to the voters. The voters will decide. Early voting will start soon, and of course, Election Day, November 8th, 47 days from now. Listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. In the city. Uh, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Right now it's 59 in downtown Binghamton. Wind chill, 52 at WNBF. Final minutes of summer on this program. Beverly from the town of Dickinson, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Is Binghamton going to be a hub for airplanes? Hmm. Well, I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, it could, but it's not... I mean, it was at one time. Not a real hub-hub. No, I was just wondering. Well, yeah, I I think someday, someday we'll get more flights, but I don't know anything that'll constitute a hub. Yeah, but uh, we only have, what, two flights? Uh, two flights a day? Well, yeah, but more will come. If if there is sufficient demand, airlines will assess that. If they have the planes and the and the crews, then they'll add flights. But this is a tough time, so I don't know. What, yeah, it sure you know. is, Bob. But having said that, you know, the fact that there will be service starting in a few weeks for people who want to go to Florida, and, you know, who, yeah. especially in winter, people. But all times of year, people want to go to Florida. Uh, that's one place I've never been. Well, well I've been there. I've, I'll be going at some point. I, I want to go back. So we'll see what happens. You know, we'll just hope for the best, okay? Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for checking in. This is your program. Tomorrow, uh, we will have more time for calls. I concede today the number of opportunities for people to call in on various issues was limited because we had so many guests but tomorrow there will be more time for people to call in and talk about almost anything so i'm looking forward to that friday program which will also be our first fall episode i'm bob joseph on wnbf if you're like most Well, I think as we look back on the summer of 2022, we can agree that the mission was accomplished. Now, with 
Just over nine hours left of the summer season in Binghamton. We look forward to autumn. With mixed feelings. On the one hand, there's a spirit of excitement, and yet there also is a degree of trepidation, understanding that sometimes some of our most massive snowfalls, including the devastating snowfall of 2020, actually happens in fall. Is that what we're going to have to deal with this year? I don't know. Stay tuned. It's Bob Joseph. Thanks so much. Hope you have a great afternoon. I'll be back tomorrow morning right here on News Radio WNBF Binghamton.